positive feedback loop. Welcome to Positive Feedback Loop, the awesome podcast where very different people talk about interesting topics and often disagree. I'm Stephanie, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Ray and Luis. Hi, everyone. Hello. And today's episode is going to center around a really interesting topic, control. What can we control? What can we not control? What do you think, guys? Well, right off the bat, I'd want to point out that one of the things that we are controlling is where we record the podcast. Woohoo! The last few episodes, we've actually been recording um, online. We've been recording via Skype. Uh, and today, for a change of pace, we actually managed to get back together again in one location. And we are actually, so if you hear a sound difference, that is what is happening. Yeah, but go ahead. So yeah, this is an interesting topic because all of us in some way or another, feel like we have some sense of control of some parts of our lives, right? And some other, some people have a stronger sense of control for more things. Some people have less control over other things. A lot of, of the resources that we have, for example, the things that we personally own, the relationships that we have provide further increased sense of control. Am I, am I talking about independence now? I, I, well, that and I mean, independence could be self-control. Yeah, I think, I think that's more what it is. Like, it's you're controlling your own life more. Although, ultimately, the idea of control is something that, for humans, is interesting. Because it depends on what scale you're talking. In, like, a cosmic scale, we really have very little control. I mean, you could be going about your day-to-day -day life, and all it would take is just a comet hitting the Earth. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. It's just it. We're done. There goes humanity. Uh, but if you're talking more like on the scale of your, your relationships, you know, actually talking to people and things that you have control, that you actually can do something about, then you might have more control in your life. Although you may overestimate how much control you have based on the fact that you can't control people. Like, not really. Right. You don't really have that power, but you do have the ability to know them better and try to see where their actions might go. But in, there's a lot of different areas that if you scale up or scale down, your ability to control them changes. Your, but ultimately, you have very little control. Your point about the kind of cosmic control reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time, which is The Avengers from 1998. Did you ever watch The was Avengers? Was that like a British spy movie? Yes! It was with Uma Thurman and Rafe Fiennes and Sean Connery. I never saw it, but I've seen things about it. <laughs> okay, so what I love about this movie is that John Connery plays a character called uh, Sir August de Winter, and he tries to control the weather. Do you remember yes, this? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm vaguely aware of the plot. So he's like threatening Great Britain by saying, I'm going to control the weather. It's going to be horrible storms and lightning and so whatever. So you mean just British weather? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's the irony in the film, maybe. Yeah. But he makes the the weather horrible. There's tornadoes going on in the Thames or something. And then he basically will make governments pay him to make the weather nice. So they mm. have to pay. So he ha it's this whole idea of controlling the weather. And what's interesting is that the Ray Fiennes character is John Steed. And he's he, with the Uma Thurman character, uh, Emma Peel, they're both fighting basically against that control so for such a silly action movie it's kind of deep 
Because it's all about what can we control and what should we not. Well, weather villains have been have existed in a lot of movies and television. The idea of like a thing to control the weather and use that to cause mass destruction, or even as a superpower. I mean, Storm from the X Men yeah. is a well known example of that, where your superpower is weather control. Because the weather has such a big impact on humans, from farming and agriculture and your food supply to just not being able to go to work because it's too bad out. You know, there's there's a lot about it that kind of awes us as uh, people, but the fact that we couldn't control it and it's so out of our reach has always been interesting. But that's kind of changed to a degree, right? Now you have things like cloud seeding, and you have. There are techniques now that humanity can actually change the weather, which is mind-blowing. So is mm. this pursuit of control just a human trait that's intrinsic? Are we just out there to control as much as we can? Are we a conquer-and-control kind of society? Is that what we are by nature? Well, I would say humans, like our whole advantage is that we can change our ecosystem to accommodate us better. Right? We can change our environment to make it so that it works better for our fa in our favor. We're no longer hunter-gatherers because now we can make villages and farming and cut down forests so we have more space for ourselves and drain swamps so that we can actually build there and create dams so we can, one, get power and, two, you know, not get floods. You know, there's a lot of things that we do, changing whole canal systems for irrigation for our farming. And all of this has just been in pursuit of making a society that is, I mean, a world that fits us better. And if you think about the fact that we have cities, which are entirely, entire ecosystems that have now their own flora and fauna that has evolved to live in it, because we have the hubris that, no, oh, this is better for us. This is what's fine. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Well, it makes sense. I mean, in the cities, you're, things are becoming more efficient in the cities, right? And so it's not like a stretch... But my question is more, do we ever seek the experience of losing control? Do we ever try to lose our ability to predict the immediate future? For fun, maybe. For many people who are spiritual, there's this acknowledgement that you come to as a mature adult that you just cannot control a lot of things in life. That's what you're getting to is like, maybe it's not seeking a lack of control, but it's acknowledging a lack of control. Like I do think of how much we've controlled the earth, we've built the cities, as Louise points out. And yet there's a lot we can't control. A tornado could rip through that city in a second. And so we always have to deal as human beings with this interplay between what we can control, at least temporarily, and what we can't control. And I know that in my own religious life, there's this idea of giving it over to God or trusting God that he will do what's best. And it's hard because you realize God has the most control. At the same time, even God gives up control and allows us to make our own decisions. I believe that he's not playing us as puppets, but that God is, is seeding that control. So is there this sense in the cosmic universe of we just can't control everything? It's a central tenet to a lot of religions that gods have given humans free will as kind of a gift right or as a punishment sometimes or i don't know it, it, it varies from mythos to mythos but the idea that we have free will is also a really interesting one because okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna 
give a shout out to another podcast right now. I was listening to a very recent episode of Radiolab, very good podcast from NPR, and they were talking about a case of an individual who, after receiving brain surgery, begins collecting and viewer discretion warning. Uh, this may not be suitable for everyone, but he begins collecting child pornography and eventually, you know, goes to court for it. And his entire thing was he just said, look, I'm guilty. I clearly have done this, but I was not in control. I was driven by a compulsion given that my brain had been altered. And this is an effect that has been observed and measured that the f any changes to your brains have such an incredible change and impact on your personality and ability to do things and how you think and even whether you have the ability to reject things that it's incredible we don't really have that much control like there's there's nothing intrinsic that lets us have control over ourselves other than just our brains and it's kind of scary to think that like any changes to that could alter your ability to control that. So I want to know what you guys feel then about drugs, the abuse of drugs and the changes in the brain and the loss of control there. There are a lot of studies. That's another thing when we, uh, a couple points I want to make. One thing is when you think about control and your health, a lots of things that happen to your body, you actually have no control over. Infections, certain kind of diseases, genetic diseases, you have absolutely no control over these things. However, they're going to, they could potentially affect your life in very serious ways. And when you talk about um, certain kinds of drugs, and we're talking about psychoactive drugs, these molecules can affect the way you think, inhibit the way you, you know, are used to thinking, but it can go both ways. You can feel like you have a greater sense of control if you're talking about um, amphetamines or things like cocaine are very harder speed drugs, but you can also consider some drugs such as LSD or psilocybin mushrooms or uh, marijuana even, where you kind of let go of that control and you just observe the world around you. You observe your environment, you observe the, thing that's, the things that are going on and you just take it in as it is. And, and many times these drugs help you to create different perspectives than the ones that you normally travel with on your day-to-day -day life. So I think there are certain positive outcomes that can come out of proper and educated use of some drugs, but there's also lots of dangers where if you, if you overdose or if you take something that, of which you're not aware of, you haven't confirmed what it actually is, or if you take the wrong dose, um, that can surely put your life in danger 100%. So I do not condone uneducated drug use. It's very dangerous and can cause lots of uh, mental health issues. So please. Yeah. We just want to quickly point out that the PFL podcast does not endorse illicit drug use. Please be safe and conform to your local laws. So right and I'm understanding what you were saying about some people seeking the lack of control. That sometimes we live, especially in modern society, a very controlled life. We control our temperature with our nest thermometers, and we control what our houses look like. And some people think that, I mean, I guess in science we're also getting to the point where people can control what their children look like, or the genetic structure of 
beings going forward. So there's so much control. Do you think that society is looking for ways to have experiences with less control? So I like to look at the people in our society that have the most control, or at least that we perceive to have the most control. For Who example, some politicians may be viewed upon as having a lot of control because they make decisions that affect lots of people so that so many people see them as controlling even a mother or father figure they have certain control over a child and that's you know definitely perceived you know when i was a toddler or a kid my mom or dad um basically kind of controlled me at least to certain degrees right um but obviously as children it's important to give them some sort of independence as well so in order for them to mature uh, properly so that control sort of can drown you as well you'll f you can feel as if there is no uncertainty in the world and having a little bit of uncertainty in the world is kind of relieving because it makes you feel that you don't know everything because if once you become all-knowing you kind of get this anxiety that oh, what am I gonna do now what's gonna change now I need a little bit of randomness in life so letting go of some of that control, I think, potentially, is something that we seek. Mm -hmm. I find the idea of humans being all-knowing kind of hilarious because this just harkens back to the idea of uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect, right? Which is that idea that people who have little knowledge or have like a cognitive bias towards thinking that they have superior intellect or knowledge about things, and it's only once you get a degree where you're an expert or know more about a topic that you start to understand that you don't and you can properly assess your lack of knowledge because when you're you don't know about a thing you don't have the tools to assess your lack of knowledge about it so the idea that we humans are well versed in all the things that we know everything is kind of not true for the most part we we know more than we used to but there's still so much out there that we have no understanding of, or very limited understanding of. And it's going to be interesting seeing where we go with that. All of these ideas on control, how much can we control as humans and are coping with it, we'll go on to our commercial break and we'll come back to that very point. Until then. Hey Ray, you seem bummed lately. What's wrong? You know, I'm just feeling like there's something missing in my life. I don't know what it is. Something like a, like an empty space. I wish there was something that can help me. I think I know exactly what could help you. Really? What's, yes. What's that? We just introduced a new product. It's called the vacuum cleaner. It basically cleans or sucks up all the emotional vacuum from your life. Do you have a lot of emotional baggage in your life? A proverbial hole in your heart? Introducing vacuum cleaner. And it will also clean your room. That's fantastic. Where can I get one? You can buy the latest model at the local Wackfax store. Sounds good. Gonna check it out. Clean up your emotional baggage with Wackfax. Welcome back to Positive Feedback Loop. Before the fabulous commercial, we were talking about control, lack of control, seeking control. And so I did a bit of a Google search. Or rather, I did a partial Google search. I typed into the search bar, how to control X. I didn't type X, but wanted to see what would come up after control. And here's what people said. How to control your dreams, how to control anger, 
emotions or anxiety. So isn't it interesting that dreams, anxiety, emotions, they're all internal and related to self-control to some degree, that the most control people want and are searching for on Google is internal. Mm. What are your thoughts? So, right, that makes sense that the things that we feel like we're, we can't control are internal and the things that we can't control are external. So the first result being that how can I control my dream, or rather lucid dreaming is what they're referring to, is in a very interesting topic. And we actually talked about it quite a bit in our episode 14, What's in a Dream? Shout out to episode 14. And what we were talking about was that it is possible to control your dreams. But my question is, why do people want to control their dreams? Or why does it why is it important to people to control their dreams? I would say that there's a really fairly simple answer to that. And it's, how much of your life do you spend dreaming? I mean, if you're spending, let's say you spend eight hours a day if you're getting a fair amount of sleep, which not everyone does, but let's say that's on average, eight hours a day, every day of your life sleeping, and a bunch of that is you dreaming, that's a huge portion of your lifespan. And if you lack control for all of it and you're having maybe a negative experience with it or you want to have a more positive experience, of course people want to have control that a little bit more, right? It's it's like you want to control what kind of bed you have because you're going to be spending a ton of time in it. So why don't we just start sleeping more and getting a better sense of control of our dreams? You know, improve our lucid dreaming, start sleeping more as a society, We'll be able to do more. We'll have even further control of our lives, or at least within our dreams. Well, I mean, sleeping more doesn't change your ability to control dreams. Lucid dreaming requires you to actually, like, take certain steps to improve your ability to do that. And that's like keeping a dream journal and that sort of thing. Like, it's more about knowing what you've dreamt about than it is about how much you sleep. And on top of that, sleep is a biological function. And so there are limits to how much you can get before it becomes bad for you. I see an overlap in the popular Google searches. It's not just that there's dreaming and then there's anxiety and then there are these internal emotions like anger, but that those emotions and that anxiety comes through in dreams and kind of vice versa. If you have a horrible dream, you wake up and you're super anxious. And so it's interesting to see that all of these internal factors are disrupting when you're awake. So your dreams actually affect your awake life and that's the part that people really want to control is just their experience in life, their happiness, how they feel. And so you see people wanting to control that anxiety, that anger, the the nightmares, whatever it is that's negative. I mean, I doubt that they want to control the positive. They're like, my dreams are just too happy. I need to control this. I need to fly more. Wait, flight's a bad thing? No, it's a good thing. I'm oh, saying okay. more flight, right? Oh, that's what I see. Because flight, I mean, flying in dreams is the best, right? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so you're referring to reducing anxiety by being able to control these certain parts of our lives. But I feel like the less that we think that we can control and the more that we just allow to happen and just mm-hmm. observe the nature of our universe, the more relaxed we end up becoming, the less anxious we are. So this pursuit of control acts as an irritant in our lives. It, it creates more of a struggle that we don't necessarily need to experience, but we feel like we need to do because we're supposed to control our lives. And 
have this feeling of we know where we're going, we know what's going to happen, but I don't think it's necessarily the way to go. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll agree in that there's only so much you can control, and at the end of the day, you have to accept that you don't have that power. You cannot control everything. That's just fact. And as we talked about at the top of the podcast, there is, you know, the cosmic scale of things, and even on the societal scale, and even, heck, in the local scale, your ability to control things is relatively minor when, or in fact, tiny if you're talking on the co cosmic scale or non-existent at that point. But when it comes to what you mentioned before about people being able to stand back and relax and just take things in and that being able to lead them to feeling like they don't need to take out as much control, couldn't it also be the other way where people who are inherently more relaxed are the ones that don't feel like they need control? Or it could be the other way, which is... People who need more less control are inherently more relaxed. So which of those two do you think is more likely? Does it just come down to a personality issue where we are seeking to become more moderate in our personalities, that we're seeking to become more balanced, that those who have chaotic lives and they love living that way with no control and people can't control them and it's just wild, should they be seeking to be a little more controlled and to control their emotions and to be... <clears throat> more moderate or temperate members of society. And then should the people who are like control freaks who have to have everything to a dot of perfection, should they let go a little bit? Now, I, I like the idea of this, this temperate personality, you know, the, the extremes kind of tempering themselves. At the same time, does that mean that self-control becomes more of a fitting into a certain type of culture, that you're changing yourself in some way? Who decides where the perfect medium is, where the perfect middle ground is where the perfectly self-controlled person and for whom too because you can see let's say many hundreds of years ago you can have a peasant and the level of control that society feels that they should have is much less than the plantation owner or something let's say that the level of control they should have should be much higher in terms of their societal expectations so, yeah, that's an interesting question. Well, are we equating p control to power? I think that's what you're asserting here, Ray. That power gives you control. I think that's what you're saying. Because a plantation owner by has economic power, which and also political power, at least in uh, the U.S. back in before pre-Civil War times, plantation owners had significant economic power and uh, political power because they were, first, the landowners who could vote, and second the people who had the means of production and had all the money, for the most part, at least in the southern states. Well, many of them anyways. So are you asserting that power gives you control, and at what scale are we talking, right? And, I mean, it's it's not difficult to say, you know, people with power obviously have more control over things, because that's, I mean, anyone can observe that, right? A person with power can dictate what happens more easily than someone who isn't. But does that grant them control personally? Is that control internal? Does it... Is it true control? Because all you're doing is you're, you may have control over a facet of society to a point. You're right. I, I see what you're saying. We're mixing the words control, independence, and power, and even free will. We've kind of been playing around these words throughout the podcast, and it's hard to define them, actually. I think that one thing that we could say about control is that in order to really be something that you're controlling, you need to be able to manipulate it in a way. You need to have levers that you can push or pull 
to create the outcome that you exactly expect. I think that corporations feel like they have control or that governments feel like they have control. I was reading a book called Digitally Enabled Social Change, Activism in the Internet Age, and I was fascinated by what the authors talked about in the sense that maybe these large powers had control back in the day, but they don't anymore because of the internet. Mm. Uh, so, for example, uh, digital participation has decreased the need for physical togetherness to affect change, according to the authors. So they talk about the difference between co-presence and coordination and how people used to have to be together. The masses had to be together physically to have power and to have control over starting a revolution or whatever it is. And now we have the internet where you don't have to be co-present. And the masses are, or, or a mass of people can affect a huge amount of change. So they, they have more power and control. But if I might argue with uh, the book, I haven't read this book, so I apologize. It might be completely off base. But the idea that corporations have lost or that powerful players have lost power due to the internet is an interesting one because there's also the other side effect which is maybe not the internet itself but data science has advanced to a degree we are able to have much more input and knowledge about every facet of what's happening around us and we can make decisions based on that information much more efficiently oftentimes having you know ai or something like that make the decision help us make decision so well yes i mean there are some facets where powerful players may lose some of that power, they have gained it in other ways. And, you know, changes in income inequality, which has only gone up, and all these other facets in our society, which are rapidly changing, the greater accumulation of capital in the form of robotics, which allow us to produce products much cheaper than if you had human labor. All of these things mean that control in our society is shifting. Where it's going is not as clear, but it seems to be going, I think, back to the powerful players. Now, whether those powerful players are the same players, that's a different story. Well, it might be the interplay between it's no longer crowds and organizations, but that power shifts because of this new internet age. Like I think of the Diet Coke and the Mentos experiments that people would do, and they put Mentos in Diet Coke and it would like explode, and Diet Coke refused to acknowledge it, but out of their control, it became this huge viral sensation. And so they thought, oh, just by ignoring it, by silencing it, we're not gonna let this spread. And it spread so far out of their control that at some point they had to acknowledge it and embrace it. So it's kind of like, Luis, you say about the, the analytics they've gained. It's, it's an increase of power, but maybe in response to the lack of control. I also wanted to address the thing that you said, Stephanie, about how now with the internet people can, without getting together physically, can still create action and do things and be a force. Is that true? I want to challenge it and say maybe that could be sort of an illusion of power that the, or an illusion of control that the masses may have. And it's not, it's not really as effective as getting people together physically. And in a way, the higher powers might like the fact that people are sitting at home individually writing things and feels like they're doing something right all these tweeters and whatever are getting something done they're writing blogs and changing the world but actually they're just like spinning wheels like it's just going in a circle and they're putting all this effort and only to be um 
flooded by the next day's news and the next day's news. And it's just a bunch of information that's really st still, those people aren't getting what they want. The people in power who are in control are still accomplishing their objectives and goals the way that they want to. And the internet people are in this illusion where they feel like they're in control. Well, Maybe. but for an organization or a corporation to do anything, to be in power, they need action out of customers or out of people. So you can't be a powerful corporation just in and of yourself. I'm going to make a decision and I'm powerful, but you actually need those people to act. So if they're acting less, you do lose your power, your customer power. Well, I, but I think what Ray's bringing up here is first two concepts. One, the illusion of control, which the illusion of control is the idea that people tend to believe they have more control in their lives than they actually do. And again, this comes back to that scale issue, right? You think that you have control over what's happening around you, or you, th and even that other people have control over what's happening around them, and that things are in their power, and that's why they're acting that way. And I, I'm doing this thing, so that's going to cause this thing. And the president did this thing, and that's why the economy is this way. But that's not really the case. For the most part, we don't have that much control. And then the second thing that he mentioned was basically hashtag activism, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that people can just sit behind a desk, send out a tweet, and they've done their part. Where in fact, most of these things don't lead to any concrete action. All they do is they give us a brief hit of dopamine. We feel good. Good, I've done a thing. I am a, I am a contributing member of society. Good for me. And then you go back to your lives and nothing has changed because all that does is it ticks up a number. People don't even read that most of the, most of the time, but they're not reading what you wrote. What you wrote is not particularly, you know, thrilling or engaging because it's 150 characters max. Or even if you wrote more, you know, who's reading that? And even if they do, what are they doing about it? Whereas instead of taking concrete actions, you know, calling your local politician or going out there and physically changing things or donating money and doing more, which is, is a lot to ask of people because they have lives to live. And if you can do... If you can feel like you're changing society, but not actually have to go out of your way to do it, why wouldn't you do that, right? I mean, that's why people do it. You can feel good about having done something without having to physically do it, which takes time and effort. And I think that's creating this sense of additional illusion that we have control over things. We feel good when something happens on, uh, when Twitter supposedly causes something to happen. But most of the time, there's a level of misunderstanding on lack of understanding that of the situations that contributes to this false idea of control. Well, I would counter that with examples of huge revolutions that could not have happened without a platform like Twitter. I think of the Arab Spring as like the poster child of internet activism where there was this ability to talk with people in a way that could get them together physically and it just couldn't have happened otherwise. I think there are a lot of cases like this. When we think of a lot of people in certain geographic areas or certain personalities that do sit and kind of write posts and hashtags and they just sit at their computer and do nothing, yes, there are a lot of those people. But there are also a lot of people who are powered by the internet that never were before. I think of an organization that I've been observing where there were a f like 10 women who thought we don't like the political climate in the US right now, we'd like to change it. And so they started a Facebook page. And within four weeks, 4,000 women had joined this Facebook page. And they set some social norms so that people knew that when they posted something, it couldn't be spam. But the first word had to be, this is the action you can take to help the problems. And so women were writing to all the different representatives that they knew in their state 
um, in their geographic region, about the problems they were going to, their capital building, all of this powered by a very simple Facebook group. I, I would I would say that I, I agree that there are definitely cases, very well-known cases, of Twitter or Facebook or social media in general being used as a communication tool to enable activism or to enable change. But, but for the most part, I would say that most people in their day-to-day -day lives don't engage with it in that sense. They engage with it in the sense that it gives them a place where if they want to say they have an opinion, say, it will say an opinion and feel good about having said it, to feel the illusion of have, being an activist, they can. But it takes, as with anything, it takes the people who take it to the next step to actually do something. And in all those cases, you know, these people then went on to do something. They didn't just send out messages on Facebook and like that was it, right? They sent out messages on Facebook that had a goal, they organized using social media and then took action. I think that's the big difference that we have to make sure that we are acknowledging here. Are you using it as a tool for activism or as a tool for communication? If you're using it as a tool for communication so that you can enable activism, whereas the other some people use it as just like their stand-in for being an activist. That's not to say that there are that it's not useful for it or there are better ways to do it. There are definitely other ways to do it. And you know, maybe on some topics activism could be good or bad or whatever. But um, it, it is interesting how that's changed. And we want to make sure that when we're, as we move on as a society, we don't let that illusion, the idea that what we're doing is contributing when it's not, especially when you're in the face of lack of concrete action. We can't let that just be enough. If you want to change something, you have to go out there and change it. And it cannot be easy. Never has anything worthwhile happened easily. Right. But the... To support Stephanie, actually, what was the alternative before, right? It would have been, they would sit at home, not on their computers, but they wouldn't go out to speak at all either. So that, like, plus one like was something. Maybe you'll catch, a, like, 10 or 20 of your friends' eyeballs and attention and plant a seed in their head about that social issue, potentially. So it's, like, micro-activism, maybe I want to call it. But it's still, so we're democratizing um, these big issues that normally in the past people would just let the politicians handle it. We literally had almost no say. I guess now we have a micro say. So I, I agree. We have to make sure that it, it's not that we are controlling anything. We don't have, we have to get rid of the sense of illusion of control by doing a tweet. But we do have an effect albeit a micro effect. Do you think we have more control over little things than big things? Like we think of <laughs> political question. turmoil, we think of weather as like these things are so uncontrollable. And then we think of like, what am I going to eat for breakfast? I can control this. I can slice up the strawberries and put them in my mouth. I would argue not really. What's available to you as your options for breakfast are determined by all the big things. Yeah. So I think that although... It's, we can feel that, yeah, we have control over things. We made our choices. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, your choices are in, are created by your lack of control. They're created by all the other things that happen in society, right? You're not going out there and like farming those strawberries that you're having for breakfast or whatever it is that you're doing. You're, and even then, even if you went out and did it, your choices of where you're going to go to farm and what you can farm and what is it, it's all controlled by all these big aspects of life. So 
I don't want to say that people should be nihilistic and just say nothing matters, the end of, of like the world's pointless, life doesn't mean anything. Like I don't want to put it that way. Like I'm not that negative a person. I'm relatively, I'm a very positive person for the most part. But we need to acknowledge that human existence comes with a lot of hubris because we tend to think of ourselves as powerful, as capable, as knowledgeable. But the truth is we live in a world, in a universe, that defies all those words. We don't know the true meaning of any of those things. Because we, in the true scale of things, everything could end at any moment. Just without any control from us. Any input. Now, we have more input in whether it could end. As science advances, we have more options for ending the world. But, you know, and when it comes down to it, what you can and can't do is ultimately derived by our current reality. Right? And, and that is not really within your power. Yeah, but with a certain margin of error, you do have almost complete control over the breakfast that you eat. So I would argue that we have control of a lot of our lives, but only in like very small scopes, you know? It's all about what scope you're talking about. So I see it as a hybrid. I think that it's true what you're going to eat, what you have available to eat for breakfast is completely uncontrolled. You've got this, like Luis is saying, this cosmic, uncontrollable forces in the universe. At the same time, what you might have those things placed before you and then can make a choice. You have control over your choice. What interests me is when people say, well, I can do what I want. It affects my life. Like if I want to abuse illicit drugs or I want to be an alcoholic, you know, well, I'm ruining my body. I'm not ruining yours, so let me do what I want. And my belief is that every action we do affects other people. So this is the uncontrollable aspect, that, that things that you're doing in your life, even when we're not together at all, are affecting me indirectly in some way. There's some ripple through the universe that I can't control. And so does this give us a responsibility to whatever is in our control to make the best choices because they don't just affect us? But the thing is, you don't really necessarily know what the best choice... There's no best choice. There's no better choice. For example, using the example of, you know, um, let's say someone's drinking at a bar, right? And then they leave the bar and you're walking and you, you know, run walk past them. And they give you a nice smile because they're drunk and they're happy. And they give you a nice smile. Hey, how you doing? That gave you a positive outlook on life for the moment when you're walking down the street. Um, you, let's say they were you know, putting some pressure on their liver that day because they had three shots of whiskey or something. But the point is, it's hard to define what is better or good at a specific time for the world around you. So you can only make a decision based on the controls that you feel like you have to for your life. I think that's the argument a relativist can make. Yeah. But I do believe in some absolute truth. So, I mean, I see that as he may have smiled at you and then gone home and beat his wife. So that's kind of a big assumption to make. and um, It's an assumption, but what I'm saying is... Wh what's your point? What's my your point, point is that, that moral relativism is one outlook on that. That you, you say, well, I should I could make any choices I want because who knows how it's going to affect other people. A bad choice I make could result in a, be in a beautiful, wonderful life. But in other contexts, in other contexts, who knows? You... There are some absolute truths where choosing not to drink would be perhaps better in the long run than not. 
you know, you don't know how a choice is going to impact somebody else, but there, I do believe there are good choices we can make that we know will impact the universe for better than, an, than another choice. But there are many ways to look at this. And so we'd love to get our listeners involved and see how you feel about this. How do you feel about control? And also, how much control do you feel you have in your life? And uh, how do you feel about the lack uh, or presence of control in your life? So also, if you want more control over what you wear, please visit the PFL Podcast Threadless store at pflpodcast.threadless.com. Anyway, we look forward to comments on our blog from you. We've already received some interesting comments. And also follow our Facebook page. Follow us on the PFL podcast on twitter.com. And we look forward to another episode. So as always, stay stay crazy. You seem bummed lately. What's happening? That's right. I just feel like there's a huge hole or vacuum in my soul. Just, just say it again. <laughs> <laughs> no one says hole or vacuum. <laughs> you know, I, I'm living a lot of problems and or troubles. <laughs> Oh my god, that's funny.